Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So this episode is going to run a little bit different than what we typically do, as we're not going to have a guest. This month marks the one-year anniversary of us starting the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program. So I just wanted to kind of sit and digest all that's happened over the last 12 months, and I've got four lessons that I've pulled out that I think are really key and really value additive for those trying to either break into the space or go from entry level to senior or mid to senior or just grow their analytics career in general. So over the last 12 months, we have placed 18 students, which represents a total of $566,000 worth of salary increases. And our average student comes out with a $31,444.44 salary increase. So I feel like I've got quite a bit of experience over the last year getting to see different types of students. For example, we've had two stay-at-home moms who hadn't worked. I think one of them hadn't worked in over a decade. We successfully placed her into a full-time analyst role. But then we've also placed a couple of students who were three years into their career and going from an entry level to a senior level role. So what I wanted to do in this episode is just break down four key lessons that I think would be helpful for you to just at least be exposed to these ideas and think about as you're moving forward in your career. So the first thing that I want to talk about is this concept called network effects. So network effects really are important in that the programs that you're going to potentially sign up for, for example, a college, they have connections to different industries and they also have either a strong or a weak alumni network. What has been so fascinating to see with our program, even within its first year, 
is that as our students are going out and getting jobs, they are starting to reach back out to me and say, hey, I've got a position on my team open. Do you have any students? And we've already started placing our students in, you know, one company, multiple of our students. So that's really, really cool to see. And I'm curious to see how that's going to grow in the future. The same concept is applying to recruiters to where our students are reaching out to recruiters, getting placed, and then I'm getting connected with these recruiters. So I'm starting to build a much wider network. So whenever you're considering a college or any type of program, think about what kind of network are you buying into, so to speak. And I actually saw a really interesting quote on social media over the past couple days that is relevant for this. And the quote starts, Fraternity membership sank final GPAs by 0.25 points, the researchers found. On the other hand, their income was an impressive 36% higher compared to those who didn't join Greek life. So I'm not saying go out and join a fraternity or sorority. I didn't do that, but that's a great example of you're essentially buying into the network. And that network is a long-term investment because not only are you potentially going to get your first job out of the people you meet in whatever organization or social group or community you join, but as you go further into your career, you can give back to that community by helping connect those to the opportunities you find and also too, you know, as other people in that community start to go out and land opportunities and find others that it might come back around to you, you know, months or years later. So lesson number two, let's talk about applying versus networking versus recruiters versus LinkedIn. So people seem to really hate on the one-click easy apply on LinkedIn. And I get it. I guess applying for jobs just feels a bit daunting. But if you can get one-click apply, you can literally set up an application in 30 seconds. So what you can do is work that into your day where maybe five days a week, an hour a day, you go and you apply. Just quick apply, you can do, I mean, you can do 60 in an hour and then that starts to add up quite a bit. And you don't have to prime the pump for a huge amount of time, but those jobs are there and it's a numbers game when it comes to applying. Now, I know it sounds a little bit daunting or frustrating, but we've had quite a bit of success with our student base with the one-click applies. Now, it's they're scaling it out. They might apply to 500 or 1,000 applications, but it's working. So I wouldn't overlook applying. Next, let's talk about networking. So we've already kind of hit on this in point one, but the network that you build is a long-term investment. So if you're starting to connect with the right recruiters or people in the industry, make sure that you are maintaining those relationships as you go further into your career. Because one thing that I've seen on the entrepreneurship side is that a lot of times people who are pretty high up in companies don't proactively grow their network. So they might spend 30 years in one organization then get laid off, and then they essentially have to retire because they don't have any connections outside of that one organization. So when you think about networking, think about it not as a transaction to where I get messages all the time of, 
a whole multiple paragraphs of, hey, I saw your podcast. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Give me a job. That's not how it works. You want to typically lead with value to where if you can say, for example, John Thompson came on and said, hey, I've been listening to your podcast forever. Um, I recently leveraged an internship to land my first analytics job. I'd love to come on the podcast and talk about it. He is, there's some reciprocity there to where I've helped him. Now he's helping me back out to where now, I mean, we have a relationship established. So you want to think about networking not as a transaction, not, hey, it's tit for tat. It's how can we grow together? How can I help you? And I think that one slight adjustment of, hey, can you give me something versus, hey, I've noticed that, you know, XYZ is something you're interested in. I can help you with that. That is a much higher return on your time and energy of trying to build those connections. All right, recruiters. So recruiters, we've really started to explore this deeply in this past year, and they are powerful, powerful relationships. So if you can start to get connected with recruiters, and the way that you typically do this is by reaching out to them on LinkedIn. So you need a really top-notch LinkedIn profile, but also, too, I mean, think about how you're sending out that first message. Don't you, you want to be articulate, you want to be warm, but you don't want it to seem like, hey, give me something. You know, you, you, you want to start to build. For example, one way you could do is if um, this recruiter is making content and posting, comment and engage and help boost their signal and then say, hey, I really like what you said about XYZ. I'd love to chat sometime. That's a much stronger way to get through the door and into their network. All right. So let's talk about the hot button issue, which is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is amazing, but it also feels terrible to me at the same time. And we've explored this really, really deep over the last three months. So over the last three months, um, we brought on a social media coach and our students garnered probably around 40,000 followers which is an insanely high number. And personally, reflecting back on it, I think it's a bit overkill. Um, in fact, I talked to a manager recently who said it's a bit of a red flag if you have a following of over 10,000 and you haven't done significant analytics work. Because then what you're starting to do is you're spending a lot more time on LinkedIn engaging with people, getting those cheap dopamine hits rather than, you know, in the first one to three to five years of your, of your career in the analytics space, you should spend a lot of that learning new skills, developing a portfolio, you know, investing in, you know, experiences and skills that are going to make you a better analyst, connecting with people on LinkedIn and making viral posts. Don't, it doesn't have the same long-term effect. So where what's really a struggle for me as a content creator on LinkedIn is that you make a post and it disappears. So where this podcast, it's um, it's a lot more of a deeper engagement where I have people reaching out to me fairly regularly who have listened to 150 hours or 100 hours or 50 hours of me talking and they've gained a lot of value there versus, you know, here are three free resources that you, you know, turn into a LinkedIn post, it, it doesn't have the same oomph. Now, that being said, one of our students actually just landed a job at a major company who the chief executive in the analytics department saw one of his posts 
where you compare you know his background in philosophy to some type of analytics concept and they actually sparked a genuine connection which led to an interview which led to a pretty substantial offer so i'm not saying that linkedin is bad necessarily but you don't want to optimize on just building followers you may want to do kind of like a content mix of, hey, here's a post that might go viral versus here's a post of me showing my work. Here's me um, sharing some free resources. So you don't want to just focus on the high level. Let's get a bunch of engagements and interactions because I feel like one thing that, you know, looking back on our cohort, it seemed like a distraction. Like our students were much more excited about, you know, one of them got over a thousand engagements on one of their posts they were much more excited about that than building out a portfolio piece, which I feel like is a little bit of a misalignment of, of values there. Like you should be much more excited about building the skills or connecting with a recruiter or landing an interview versus, you know, getting attention on LinkedIn because I have had a pretty bad experience on LinkedIn in the last three months. So I started applying some of these concepts and I don't know if it's because I'm in a position of authority, but Almost every post I make, I get somebody just nitpicking me or, I mean, or even flat out insulting me. Like, I'll read this and I quote, somebody that I actually have connected with and helped substantially left this comment on my post, which was, I've seen some bad posts before on LinkedIn, but this is by far the worst I've ever seen, which if I'm being honest, that ate me up for like a week. I didn't respond. I didn't feed the trolls. I didn't want to get into like a online argument where you know we're both screaming at each other i just kind of let it go but there is kind of a toxic side to linkedin where i mean i guess it's social media you it's not as bad as twitter where it's anonymous but you still kind of have that removal of that person probably wouldn't speak as sternly to my face versus a post so just be a little bit wary about how much cognitive energy and space that linkedin takes up because it seems a little bit like an illusion. Like there are quite a few people who have huge followings that, you know, like that manager I was talking about uh, made an observation about a lot of the people who have huge followings don't have a ton of interesting things to say because they're within their first year of landing their analytics job. Versus, you know, for example, we had um, that data scientist from Cover My Meds on last week, and her following is substantially smaller, but that's because. She has joined, you know, a Python group, is running that, is running a podcast, is actually creating value and expanding her skills to where LinkedIn is a little bit, um, you know, of a lower priority because she doesn't want to become an influencer. She wants to become a data scientist. So, you know, you got to think about kind of how do you want to position yourself on that site? So we kind of merged lessons two and three there. So... I wanted to talk about point two was applying versus networking versus recruiting versus LinkedIn. And then point three was just the lessons that I have learned personally from LinkedIn, not only from me getting out there and posting more, but also um, seeing my students to where, yes, the students who have gained the biggest followings, all three of them have landed jobs. So I do think it's value additive, but I think it seems like a bit of an overemphasis on, you know, building that following, focusing on those metrics versus, you know, connecting with recruiters or expanding your skill set or your business acumen. 
And point four, and this is what we'll close out on, is people, especially for the entry level, are way overemphasizing skills. So they won't even apply for jobs that they don't match 10 out of 10 of the skill requirements. And this makes sense for a senior role, because if you're applying for a senior level position, they're going to expect you to hit the ground running and you need to, you know, bring past experience and, you know, skills and then experience applying those skills. But for entry level jobs, if you have a cohesive story about why it makes sense that you're making this transition, if you've done a good job of quantifying the impact of your past work, they can start to piece out that, hey, this person can learn. They may not have the skills day one, but if we give them the right training and the right support and also some materials to learn, they're going to take this and run with it. So a lot of the companies who have hired my students are seeing these entry-level analysts as longer-term investments. So they're not necessarily saying, hey, you know, Judy, we're not going to hire you because you don't know, you know, Advanced SQL and Tableau. They might say, oh, you know, it's interesting that you have this background where you've had quite a bit of impact and we can see that you've learned these other skills that are very similar to what you would have to do in this current role. To where, I mean, I would say three or four of our students didn't even have the baseline for some of the skills that they needed day in and day out for some of these entry-level roles. But they interviewed so well and they were such a good cultural fit for the company that, I mean, one of the hiring managers literally told one of my students, we know that, you know, you're going to have to get up to speed on this, on the skills and the tools, but you're such a great cultural fit that I, we're at, we're very certain that you're going to bring a ton of value um, to this entry level role. So point four here, stop overemphasizing skills. Don't let it stress you out. It's also harder to learn skills from online courses than learning it on the job. Well, number one, stakes. So if you don't finish one of these online courses, there's you know really no downside other than you might have spent some money and now you've wasted that. But if you get a job and you have to learn this skill or you're going to get fired and you're going to lose that paycheck, boy, oh boy, is that a motivator. Now, one thing to kind of err on the side of caution and, and caveat this advice is that the, there is a downside for applying for and getting a job that you're you know, slightly or even in some cases majorly underqualified for is that there is going to be a very, very stressful one to three to six month period where you're kind of working overtime to get caught up. And, you know, that that is a ta- that is a toll, you know, on your mental health and it's going to cause a lot of stress. So I don't want to encourage everybody that's listening to, you know, just go go get jobs that you're completely unqualified for and it'll work out and it'll be, you know, rainbows and butterflies because it can be really stressful. And I've seen that with some of my my students. Um, But at the end of it, they pulled it out and now, you know, they rapidly learned and developed a school, a skill set over a six month period. And it's I think it's easier to learn on the job, too, because you have a very specific problem to solve. And you have those stakes that are driving you forward to where if you get, you know, in that course, like circus wheel of just taking course after course after course, it, you don't learn it. You, you don't, you don't develop any specific knowledge. And what I mean by that is you just 
followed someone else's process that they've gone out and they've gone and solved that problem to where if you're in a specific industry with a specific tool and a specific set of data, you can own that experience and you can bring that with you moving forward. So you've developed a mental model when you approach a similar problem in the future. And also too, this is golden right here. You can take that experience of you solving that problem and bring that into the next interview that you go on. So, all right, this is going to be a much shorter episode compared to our our usual long form episodes with a guest, but thank you all for tuning in. And also too, if you have any feedback on how we can make these episodes better, or if there's a specific type of content that you would like to, you know, have us explore, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.